Welcome to The Black Athlete, a podcast where we put the past into the present of black sports. I'm Lewis Moore. I'm Derek White. We're sports historians here to give you the historical context for contemporary black athletes. And welcome back to The Black Athlete. I'm Lewis Moore, author of I Fight for Living, and we will win the day. And you can check out my latest Audible lecture series on the Negro Leagues at Wonderum or on Amazon. I'm Derek White, author of The Challenge of Blackness is to the Black World in Politics of the 1970s, as well as Blood, Sweat, and Tears, Jay Gaither, Florida a and the History of Black College Football. Welcome back, Lou. Uh, thank you. It's good to be back. Right. That's right, man. This is a big week, man. This has been an exciting and historic uh, sports week. Uh, and we had to get together on a on a Friday night to <laughs> to to get it in because uh, we could not let the time go by. Um, no, 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 we cannot. <laughs> no, no so we couldn't. We couldn't let this one slide by. This is our wheelhouse right here. Um, you know, it's been it's been a you know we had a great podcast. Thanks for everybody listening. We got a lot of comments on our last one with Tracy, so I just want to shout out that right. was amazing. Um, the other night, LeBron passed Kareem. Like, that's a big, big deal. Huge deal. That's a lot of points. I, I never thought that that could be broken because mathematically it's not supposed to be able to be broken, right? Like, in, in reality, no one's supposed to be able to play 20 years and average more than 25 <laughs> points a game. Twenty-seven. I think his career is like 27, right? The only person who possibly could have done that was Dominique Wilkins, right? And, and <laughs> <laughs> and unfortunately, he, he wasn't able to last that long. He tore, well, he tore his killings and, and came back, averaging twenty eight a game. Uh, you know, missed the missed the dream team. Um, but he, you know, I think that what hurt him was the lockout, just like Sean Kemp, right? That late lockout. And but by that time, he had already put in like what 13, 14 years of just yeah. high flying, and and then you know won a little championship in Greece which is pretty big time you know strong league and, and uh you know <laughs> did you just give him a championship the, the Greece championship man, right. championships are championships I mean that's your man I'm not gonna say I mean man, how many I, how many championships in in Greece does Michael Jordan have exactly you know? <laughs> exactly no, exactly okay. defense right uh, yeah but it's amazing because LeBron has been like steady and, and I always make this remark you know you look at that SI from when he was in junior and it's like the chosen one. And most people just can't, you know, outrun expectations, right. Or live up to expectations because it's really hard because the moment you do something that, that doesn't live up to them, you're a bust. And I don't think mentally people can handle that. And he's just like pushed through and gotten better. And even now that he's 38, he's still really great. And I don't, I don't understand that. Um, now he doesn't. I, I think he was obviously better ten years ago because he could play both sides, uh, you know, of, of the offense and defense. But still, like it's just tremendous that he's had this longevity and he's done it. Never gotten in trouble. Never really made it. I mean, the only misstep he made was announcing that he was going to Miami, and the people didn't like the way he announced it. Right? Like he could announce <laughs> it any way he right. wanted to. Right. And that's it. And that's it. Um, so it's just just an amazing career, and he's got at least probably three more years. I think Bronny's going to take some time to get to the NBA, and there's going to team. My guess is there'll be a team that wants wants to showcase those two, and then there'll be Bryce, and so maybe he can hold on to Bryce, but I don't I don't know. But definitely he's going to play with his son. Like that's he's got too much power to not let that happen. Yeah, um, 
I mean, it, you know, I, I was telling my students the other day in my class that one of the perks about being born in the 70s is that we we really got to watch the the tail end of like that first really great NBA generation. Right. Like we got to see Moses Malone and Dr. Dre and uh, Dr. Dre, Dr. J. <laughs> uh, and we'll leave that in the edits. Uh, and, you know, obviously Kareem. Right. Like we got to see those guys. And then at the same time, like live through both Michael Jordan and Kobe and Shaq and now LeBron. Like it is a is actually a pretty a pretty amazing moment. I just never thought in a million years I'd see anybody come like come really close to breaking Kareem's record, man. And I think the part that's really astounding is that LeBron James has done this with a kind of his best asset being his basketball IQ, not his scoring mentality, right? Like he's not been Michael Jordan. He's not been Kobe. Like he, you know, like, you know, the biggest criticism of of LeBron over these years has been he's not those guys, right? He didn't have, you know, he passes up the shot, you know, the shot at the end of the game so he can make the, try to get his teammate who probably shouldn't be shooting a better shot, right? I mean, I lived in Miami when uh, that first year when they lost and he, you know, Jay, he couldn't post up J.J. Barea. And, you know, like, yeah, I mean, he you talk about strong mental mental toughness, the kind of like noise that that was constantly heard for. I want to say like nine months. Right. Until right. they won again. Right. right? Maybe a year. Right. Win. Like, yeah. I mean, it was it was like you know, how does one deal with that? Right. And, uh, and, you know, and so as a guy who built his career with like, you know, the ability of magic Johnson was probably the best comparison for him for a long time. Um, but at the same time to average like 28 points a game for 20 years, it's like, <laughs> and yeah. have and have like one season with, you know, where he missed half a season because of injury. Right. Like that's, that's phenomenal. Right. And it, it does, right. you know, I think it does, it, it's starting to change my thinking. Cause I think that that record is one of the really kind of big, kind of milestones it's like the you know the babe ruth of home run record <laughs> you have to be consistently great for a long time and that's hard to do when you when when you have to play a lot of and part of those games don't count because they're playoff games right right and you so, know, like ten thousand playoff points or something crazy right <laughs> so uh, and that adds extra to your body i mean there was what was it like a nine-year stretch it was an eight-year stretch for sure right when he went to the finals yes um that's crazy right um yeah. but also too the person he passed is the perfect person right kareem is perhaps the greatest winner of basketball of all time and the yeah. only reason why we don't say that is because one the media didn't love him like michael jordan mm-hmm. and two they love michael jordan right like, yeah that's just and so we forget that he has six championships i think three in college and also probably one of the great high school uh basketball players of I, all time because right? our listeners may not be familiar there's a stretch there's a three-year stretch in college because you couldn't play as a freshman when kareem was in person you get at ucla i think they lost one game in three years, while right was, to Houston, right? Yeah, yeah, I think they lost one game while he was there. They won three national titles in three years. He was national player of the year three consecutive years, and he was like, you know, the most outstanding player in three uh, consecutive NCAA tournaments, right? Like, and he came in with the same kind of hype that LeBron came in, right. and ex- you know what I mean? Like, he's the- when he only lost that one game in high school, right? Like, yes, to, uh, to Dematha, right? Right, that and. 
they banned the dunk. Like just <laughs> what he dominated, and he still dominated. I mean, he invented a shot that still you try to do in horse. Uh, you just can't right. do it as accurate, right? right. So I mean, yeah. So no, and he was so gracious in in this. I mean, obviously he wouldn't be bad because it's a longevity award. Yeah, but he was he was there. He's eighty, and I'm sure he's tired and it's loud, <laughs> and and. And he, yeah, he was phenomenal. And then the other day he said, like, you know, Giannis has changed his way about, the, you know, playing ball and just, you know, because Giannis is his size, a little smaller than him, but he plays up and down. Whereas yeah. Kareem wasn't allowed to play that way. Um, and so he was, he's part of that era where if you're big, you're big. If yeah. you're small, you're one. Yeah. Um, and now it's more positionless basketball. And he probably, he would have definitely been able to dominate in this, this league because he has the athleticism and the basketball IQ. Yeah, no, it was, uh, you know, and, you know, like you said, Kareem was a perfect person. And and Le- LeBron, I think, ideally has done, you know, has has had, like you said, if your biggest misstep is announcing that you're going to play um, as a free agent on uh, national TV while raising money for the Boys and Girls Club of Akron, I feel like that is the that is the smallest misstep that right. you could possibly have right. um, in your career. Um the NBA, you know, in addition to LeBron, has managed to like carve out some media time this week, even though it's Super Bowl week. Uh, yesterday was a trade deadline, and I couldn't even keep up. But I woke up. Was it oh this morning gosh. or yesterday woke morning? Woke up yesterday morning to yes, yes yesterday <laughs> morning switching teams. Like what? <laughs> like what? That's crazy. And, and I don't even know what the Nets. The Nets should have blown it up a long time ago. Like this summer and they held on and, and their GM and they're, they're selling themselves on that. They got all these pieces, but look, you need stars to win. And, and, and now you'll just be middle of the pack getting middle of the pack picks. Uh, I know they got some picks backs, but it's not exciting. I mean, I mean KD, I, I'm happy for KD. He's, you know, he likes to hoop. He don't really like to do a lot of the other, the other parts of, of basketball that like, you know, the media presence and those things. Right. Um, he's a Hooper's Hooper. Um, you know, so him giving a good, honest chance to, to go out and win another title um, is is great for him. But we have to say, uh, and we'll come back to this, I think, when the NBA gets rolling after the NFL season, but this this Brooklyn Nets team is the biggest failure in NBA history. Right, right. <laughs> I mean, like, I, you know, like, we're going to have to dig deep to find it. I mean, they had three Hall of Fame players. Right. And they're pretty much in their prime, right? It right. wasn't like they had a downslide. Right, yeah. at or near their prime and won one playoff series. And barely played them together. Right, they I think no, they had nine games yeah. or something something like that, 12 games something or something. crazy. Like, something but like you them. can't just roll the ball out. Um, basketball players are really good, and you also need your bench, and you need your, your supporting cast. And I think what people are realizing is there's no more big three. Like, you just – you can't afford it, one, and, and two – you're better off having two solid, you know, two goods. If you can get two good players, but a bunch of role players who who can just six, eight guys who who can just kind of three and D because that's where the game's going. They don't necessarily yeah. have to be good. They can, you know, one guy can go one-on-one because no one's hand checking. And then, you know, you make enough three pointers and stop them. I mean, that's pretty much how basketball, I know it's simplified, but you're not well, running sets. It. You're not, you're not out there running the flex like, like uh, Gary Williams. Not and Gary, yeah, there you buddy. go. Yeah. Not, know. You know, you're not running the flex anymore. Yeah, I know. They're they, yeah, they not yeah. even running motion. What are you talking about? Like it's, I, I know, I know. And NBA people always talk about how 
you know, intricate the game is they're running plays. And I'm just like, dude, they're just going up there, jacking up they, threes. They, they run plays, but the plays they run yeah. are like, it yeah. is hyper-specific. And right. if you watch, yeah. I watched Miami the year that LeBron and Dwayne Wade were together, and it got to the point where you, if you watch a team every night, you know, like the seven plays they go run. Right, right. Um, it's not and, like they're getting Jeff Malone <laughs> open for a jump shot or Jeff Warren check over for a jump shot, right? Running off like, 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 like we go run picks. this, we go run this hammer, we go run this high hammer screen, right. and, and we go get it to Bosch or Wade's gonna flare and then drive, and then, or we just go get to LeBron and move out the way. Like, it ain't, it ain't really that complicated. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, but yeah, no, that KD thing is great. I hope that you know the him and book. Uh, I gonna that's a lot. That's a lot of score in one and CP three to run the show. So takes a burden off of K. I mean, it's a lot of catch and shoot going on, and then will be interesting. KD and book are both ISO players. They're both mid range players too. So it's gonna be interesting. You know, you got to be able to share the ball. Yeah. Um, but they got you know. I think the only person they have to worry about is Aiden because he seems like he thinks he's better than he is, and so you know what it. When you add KD, that's that's your shots, right? You just lost. Yeah. That's yeah. twenty shots a game, right? You yeah, just, I don't know a, where that, you think. You, I mean, he, he, your your shots are like basically you gonna get some quick posts, some rolls, uh, offensive rebounds, dude, and like right, and that's it. And so whatever your attempts are gonna go down tremendously by right. at least a third, and I'm thinking probably half. Yeah, um, you're Clint Capella, buddy, on the Houston Rockets. So, <laughs> At least Clint yeah. Capella is excited because that's a, he knows his role, right? That's the right, difference, right? And it's gonna be interesting because because I mean, so that role will be open because if you try to do- double off this Katie, this book, and I'm sure they'll have another three point shooter there. Um, but you're paying that guy. I think what are the you're paying Aiden? Aiden's getting paid, right? Like, yeah, no, he got a resign, but he didn't get the max. I guess the, yeah, the rookie still, max. So, a, yeah, he's getting a hundred plus. So. I mean, you have to figure things out quick, or right? and he seems like he's a nuisance too. So I mean, it's it's interesting to watch this in the middle of the season because I do think it's harder than it looks. Like I think we think of this, you know, fans often think of these trades as, um, you know, two K trades, right? Like you just put them, plug them in the video game, and you're about to be unstoppable. Um, but I do think it takes a little bit of time to figure out where people like the ball, you know, where their favorite spots are on the floor, how you know what plays are going to work. To right. get them to this, but you know, and you don't have no training camp, right? You know, and I think that that's a bit different. And then, you know, like you said, other people are going to have new roles, and how they adjust to those roles on the fly is is much is is going to be interesting to watch. I think it's much easier to bring in a kind of important component piece than it is to bring someone like KD in the middle of the year. Right. We'll see. We'll see. KD could just hoop though. He can hoop. What's, though. Like, yeah, <laughs> just hoop. he can hoop. So he's good. <laughs> Uh, but you, so, so let's get to our main subject now, which is going to be the black quarterbacks in the Super Bowl. But before that, we got another black quarterback going into the hall of fame. I'm going to call him a black quarterback because you know him as a black quarterback, but he's going in as, what is he, as, as a safety? As a DB, yeah. As a DB. Yeah. And that's Ken, Ken Riley. FAMU's yeah. Ken Riley, yes. No, I mean, like he's, this is fantastic news. I think one of the things when you write a book about, um, Florida A&M and you get to be intimately familiar with not only the coaches and and the players and the and the history but Ken Riley holds a special place in in FAMU history uh for a number of reasons probably the biggest is that he's kind of the last superstar under Jake Gaither right like he plays under coach Gaither 
on those 68, uh, 67, 68 teams as quarterback. Um, it was a, a tremendous all-conference quarterback, scrambled around um, in a primarily running offense. Uh, and the then get, sp- Were they still in the split T at that time? No, they were kind of phasing out of the split uh, T, okay. but they still ran. They did a lot more pro sets, which is kind of like two back set. Um, really trying to give their you know their players more kind of professional looks. This is as the NFL starts to to really transition to that that split back pro set, yeah. the pro set. Um, but Ken Riley was a fantastic leader, uh, and you know he, he obviously gets drafted by the Cincinnati Bengals as a almost day one starter. Plays for I think thirteen or fourteen years and is the third all time leading interception uh, interceptor. I think that's the right way we say that uh, in the NFL history, that's which crazy. is. 65 interceptions. I think that number is fascinating when you think about how rarely people threw the football. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, I'd have to look, I have some like NFL digests around here and I can tell you like how often they're throwing, but but they're not they're not they're not throwing it. It's not like just now where you're putting up, you mean, you know, 50 passes or even 30 passes. It's 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 pretty run heavy. Sue and he's like playing teams like you know, even the Steelers are pretty run heavy in their in their and they're attacking. He's playing those type of teams, so it's really hard to get those picks. Right? Yeah, I mean, like your average is. I had to do my math on the top of my head here, but like almost four and some change interceptions every year in a lead. In, you know, where the leading passer is throwing for like two thousand yards, twenty five hundred right. yards. You know, like right, right, um, right. You know what I mean? With the exception, I guess, of probably Dan Fouts and and Don Coriel, who's also going into uh, the Hall of Fame this year. But most of the league was run heavy. I mean, the Steelers won those Super Bowls in the seventies, and Terry Bradshaw was throwing the ball like fifteen times a oh, game yeah, or less, yeah. right? Like, yeah, and know? he's connecting on them like two until <laughs> right. like the Super Bowl. Like, yeah. Right? Oh yeah. No, I mean, like even some of these guys, it was like, I think the benchmark was like fifty percent, right? Whereas now it's like you know that's that gets you out of the league. Like, you don't um, even get into the league yeah. with 50%. Now, now, like, my man Doug had some bad years. I mean, I think his first year, he's, like, in the high 30s and stuff like that. But, yeah, you know, getting to 50% was, like, a big deal. You know, partly because the defense was very rough, right? There is mm-hmm. – the, the pass interference is not like it is today. The offenses are – not to say they weren't intricate. Um, they were getting there. They're in that development stage uh, mm-hmm. more. It's not to say like, uh, hold on. It's not to say like people like Sid Gilman and uh, who was with the Chargers, then some other teams for a while after that mm-hmm. wasn't running intricate sets. But still, like that's a lot of picks for a time when they're not throwing a lot of times, right? Um, so they're and for a new franchise too, and which yeah. shout out to Paul Brown who who um, turned those Bengals around pretty quickly, right? From nothing, and I think they were contending. Uh, in the seventies, because who was their quarterback? Ken Anderson, if I have that correct, right? Yeah, Kenny um, Anderson was their quarterback uh, in the yeah. in the in the late seventies, early eighties. So I'm, I pulled up the NFL reference because I wanted to have this to okay. to have this every year. Um, uh, he had sixty five interceptions in his career. He played uh, what is this eighteen years, um, and he had an interception in every single season. That's crazy. That's crazy. <laughs> At least one. That's crazy. In 1976, you appreciate this. 14 games, nine interceptions. Damn, that's crazy. That's, <laughs> that, that's crazy, right? Like, who does it say each game? Like, uh, like his, like one, like a game he played, like against the Steelers. How many times they actually threw the ball? 
Um, uh, I can. I mean, it would take me. Let's some time. see, because we're saying fifteen, and I, but I think there's no way Bradshaw threw it more than like twenty two, twenty three times in the game. I guess whenever. Yeah, they were playing them. There's no way. There's actually no way. But what's interesting too about Paul Brown since we're doing black quarterbacks, that's from my count, that's probably the third black quarterback he had drafted in his career. Because when he was at, if I have this correct, uh, oh my god, oh sorry, <laughs> like it's gotta be like his fourth. Uh, so when he was early on with the Browns, um, he brought a guy in from Syracuse and told him to switch, and he was gone in a day. Um, and then the Browns, I want to say, draft Sandy Stevens. Uh, mm-hmm. I thought about drafting Sandy Stevens, and he wasn't going to let him play. So Sandy Stevens was the Rose Bowl champion, um, 60 and, or 61-62 for Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Didn't let him play. Uh, Mike Howell, Grambling's quarterback before James Harris, drafted him, turned him into safety. <laughs> and then Ken Riley, uh, FAMU quarterback, turned him into uh a DB. Yeah. Right. And so that's, there you go. That's his check record with black quarterbacks. And he's the, you know, the, what's interesting about that though, is Paul Brown's like one of the, the offensive gurus early on in the league. Right. It's the reason why his Browns uh, were so successful even before he got to the Bengals, even before he had um, Jim Brown. Right. Yeah. It was, it was his, as um, it was his office's efficiency in the, in the past plays that, that he was starting to develop early on in the 1950s that really, really propel the passing game in the NFL. Um, yeah. And so when he's drafted, like a, like a, off the top of my head, I believe he's drafted four four black quarterbacks. And each time it was like, yeah, oh, like, you're switching to safety. And the two guys that didn't want to switch were gone. Um, yeah. Uh, so the guy from Syracuse escapes my name. I'll figure it out later. But um, yeah, this is, it, was, it was 19, I want to say 51, he brought him in. And he lasted a day. And he went to Canada and did quite well. That's so. where I mean. There's a we should do a podcast when the Grey Cup comes up at some point about these Canadian quarterbacks as well. These black Born Moon. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, there's a whole legacy of them. The whole there. legacy. First one comes in 1950 season. Alva Tabor, who played at Tuskegee. I can say this now because look, there's two black quarterback books already, and I don't think they're they haven't you know, they're not using this information. But Alva, I think I don't know. Alva Tabor uh, played at Tuskegee in 1943. Uh, running the T formation, and then he played at Nevada, a backup. Um, and then he brought it was brought in in the nineteen forty nine season to play with the black, the, not the black Yankees, but the the Yankees in the AAFL, mm. and did not play. But he was a quarterback, and then he went to Canada for a year. And then he was also uh, a coach later on at Southern, and then he was a um, a coach in the NFL or assistant coach in the NFL for the Saints, right? For the Saints, and then for the Browns too. So yeah. All right, so I got these numbers for you. You ready? Okay. Uh, so this I pulled up passing offense for the whole season. Um, so the seventy six. It's seventy six when he had okay. nine interceptions. The team. We're leader, back to Ken. Hold on, we're back to Ken Riley, listeners. Back like, to Ken Riley. Yeah, we're back to yeah, Ken Riley. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Nineteen seventy six. Ken Riley had nine interceptions. Uh, the leading the leading passing yards for the entire season was the Baltimore Colts. Through for oh let me get let me guess the quarterback Burt Jones Burt Jones who was MVP that year Boom. yes from the state of Louisiana uh, Burt Jones was MVP he threw for twenty nine the Colts did twenty nine thirty three wow yes wow twenty four so yeah twenty four yeah. touchdowns ten interceptions that was wow. the year Harris was like got uh his lost his job to Pat Hayden too and he wound up leading he's like I got a 
court around here somewhere. So he was the league leader in efficiency, but he didn't play that much, right? That's back when they didn't really care that you only played so, so, so many games, <laughs> but 76. Yeah. I, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. No, no. I it's mean, crazy. It, it's crazy to me because I think, like you said, like, we, you know, what did, what did Patrick Mahomes throw for this year? Like 5,000 yards? 5,000. Yeah. Like he threw for twice as much yards. I, but. I wonder if Riley picked off Harris in uh, 76. All right, let's see. I can give you game results. Let's see. This is really offense, defense. Because they went 10-3. and three, So maybe – I know he had a game against – they did not play the they – didn't, they didn't, oh, they did play the Bengals. Defense, fumbles. Let's see. And they lost. Defense. But I can't remember. That might have been one of his last games. Ken Riley had – I don't know. He's, it. That's a lot. He had – they had another defense. He was playing right cornerback. So I want you to let you know that he played right corner and had nine yeah. interceptions. Not even. The strong safety that year had five interceptions for Cincinnati. That's crazy. That's bananas. Um, uh, given how little, how many little, how few opportunities they had. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think this is a fantastic moment. This is much like, the only thing that I think is troubling is that, you know, there's been a consistent push. I started my book in 2010, maybe 2009. Yeah. Um, and even then, FAMU fans were really every year at the, when they gave the long list of candidates for the Hall of Fame, Ken Riley had been on the list for a long time before he got kicked over to the veterans list. Um, and he, you know, the argument was always the same. Like, at the time, he was like number two in 2010 in interceptions. Yeah. And, you know, that's crazy. And, you know, and, and they were just kind of like, if we do in the rate of passing and that he was consistent, you know, he just never made like the big numbers. He's never defensive player of the year. He made a handful of Pro Bowls, but he was literally the most consistent defensive back for like 12 years, right? For a right, dozen right. years, right? <laughs> you know, and right. so. And he was a guy who got a lot of interceptions. And I think that like that as the stat is important. And I think it's also telling this year that Darrell Revis is going in the Hall of Fame as well, who gets a lot of the same. I mean, he was a, you know, he had far more higher accolades, but we know him basically because he was able as a shutdown corner and his right. ability to pick off the ball. And Rondé Barber is going in as well, who's a who is a literally the opposite of Darrell Revis, right? Who is a system corner, right? Play cover two corner. Who um, you know, who set who squatted on a lot of, you know, out routes and get a lot of his interceptions. So it's like interesting that yeah. these three guys are very different. And so I think it's appropriate that he goes in this year. But it's also quite sad that he passed away, I want to say like two years ago, uh, and he doesn't get an opportunity to um, you know, to 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 put the jacket on himself, right? right and, right, and the same right. thing happened to Bob Hayes, um, that he, you know, like a few years after he passed he gets elected to the hall of fame. And so that, I think that's, you know, it's a, it's a tremendous moment for Florida a uh football program and the, in the school and Ken Riley's legacy. Um, but it's also kind of bittersweet when you don't get an opportunity to, to, to like, you know, to get the kind of pat on the back, uh, the, right. the, the recognition that, that he probably deserved uh, a dozen years ago, at least. Um, so, yeah. And I think it's a great entry point to our conversation about the black quarterbacks in the, in the Super Bowl. Because as we said, like 10 minutes ago, maybe 15 minutes ago, that Riley was a black quarterback, right? And and when Riley, and I think what I've been telling, I've done a lot of interviews um, 
over the week, what I've been telling people, this game means so much because of the history, because guys didn't get the opportunity. And and there's reasons why they didn't get the opportunity, right? And 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 you know, one of the sayings back in the late 60s when you know guys like Kid Riley were were being switched is black plus corner quarterback equals cornerback, right? And <laughs> the the league would switch them. And so some of the guys we named, like a Mike Howell, who was playing uh, quarterback for Grambling before Eddie Robinson p- goes on this mission to like get a black quarterback in the league. He gets drafted by the Browns and he switched right now. Part of it is, you know, Eddie's running the wing T um, and he's running it run heavy. And so, you know, uh, there's not going to be, it's what I detail. My, oh, I can't say it too much, but, but I cover a lot of formations in my book. Please don't steal this anybody. Uh, anyway, anyway, uh, but that's part of, part of what's happening but still the other thing is is the way they looked at cornerback at that at that time and it was thought of like the unthinking position like this is mm-hmm. where we're going to throw black athletes because you didn't have to think and now you don't see that anymore you don't see taking a quarterback and making him a cornerback right away usually it's a receiver i don't mm-hmm. know what that says about the receiver but usually a quarterback can transition if he has decent speed because of the he knows the routes. Yes. But that was the thing. And and even we talk about stacking, even back, we told the story last time, back in 68, the AFL only had one white cornerback. And so these young black guys are getting thrown into the league. I have this, you know, I have, I collect every um, black quarterback. I have them all. And, the, and I have a binder. You guys can't see it. Of every black quarterback of sports cards. And the first page is, is some of the guys that got switched, right? And so you have Willie Wood, who played uh, in the first Super Bowl, right? And he's a Hall of Famer, uh, safety, and he was a black quarterback at USC. Jim Kearney, I believe, where he's pra- Prairie View. Prairie View. Um, Prairie View. Mike, and he's like 6'4", right? Like, yeah. he just looks tall. Uh, Mike Howell, Grambling, Ken Riley, uh, Freddie Solomon, who was a quarterback at, at, at Tampa, had this crazy, crazy – Stats at college before they shut down the football program get switched to receiver. Brig Owens, Cincinnati, uh, at the University of Cincinnati gets switched to safety. Uh, Ken Reeves, cornerback. Vivian Lee, cornerback. Charlie Stooks, cornerback, right? All these guys who played in the 60s and 70s and, and had tremendous records, uh, mainly at the HBC level uh, outside of Brig Owens and, and Willie Wood, all they're just going to switch them, right? And, and part of it is, the thinking is, and this is why it's so so important that we have a Mahomes, especially Jalen Hurts, is that we're not going to waste our time with these guys. That if it, you know, the saying was 50s, 60s, 70s, even to the 80s, it takes three to five years to make a professional quarterback. And the thinking was, why waste my time on this black guy who has, you know, I think he's black, so he has athleticism, so I'm going to play him right away. Right? Mm-hmm. Why? I'm not going to spend my time. And that's the beautiful thing about Jalen Hurts is that they wanted him. Some you know experts said maybe he should be a running back. Maybe he, be, he should be a receiver. And he said no, right? He's part of this. He, he's able to do that because a generation before him, a couple generations before him, like mm-hmm. Vince Evans said, no, I'm playing. Mm-hmm. But also that the Philadelphia Eagles had patience. Like, I, you know, we could wait. We could have this guy as a backup and then we could build around him. And that's what's so refreshing because other guys didn't have that opportunity. 
Mm-hmm. Vince Evans, you have a four or five forty, but we're still going to try to put you in our pro style offense, right? We're going to still yeah. try to get you to now. Now they try to get him out to the outside, but mainly if you ever watch those highlights, a lot of times it's like him trying to drop back. He drops back so fast. Oh my gosh. Um, and <laughs> they try to, you know, where he's, he's a single, we talked about this before, a single wing quarterback in high school. He's a rollout quarterback in the I formation in, in college. And, and so dropping back is not what he does well. Yeah. Um, rolling out you know and you could have done that you could have rolled out protection for these guys and let them kind of run around and make plays but they didn't want to and that's why that's why you have a guy like ken riley who's a hall of famer at cornerback who doesn't has that crazy athleticism and doesn't even get a chance right because that mm-hmm. and that to me that's why it's so important that you have two of these guys i know patrick's a different quarterback but that's part of the history that that we're talking about here that 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 immediate discrimination when they saw these black quarterbacks saying, I just want this athleticism and nothing more. No, and I want to add to that too, right? I mean, this is a Super Bowl. Like uh, the other night, I feel like it was midweek this week, they had the NFL awards, right? And Patrick Mahomes was named MVP this season. But I think it's also to note important to note that Geno Smith was comeback player of the year, right? And Geno Smith is an important story this year as well as a person who was a high draft pick, who who literally languished in the league, right? Played for the Jets, right? Or the Giants. He played for the Jets and so the Giants. So high draft pick for the Jets, and then he went to the Giants, then he went to the Chargers, and now he's with the Seahawks, yeah. And that ability for him to hang around until his moment and then really seize this moment when he, he got this opportunity to be the starter in Seattle uh, and had a fantastic season. Yeah. Um, you know, 70% completion. You know, I think that's important. To, and I think the other thing that's important to note here, too, and I think you kind of hinted at this, is that, you know, one of the challenges about being black in, you know, uh, in an industry that is predominantly white is that you have to be twice as good. Right. Right. And it's clear Patrick Mahomes is twice as good, right? Like we, we don't have to like rice as good, <laughs> right? Better like, than as his dad said, he's smoking on that Joe Burrow. <laughs> I mean, like he he's yeah. he's operating on a completely different play than all the quarterbacks right. in the league, right? But the thing about Jalen Hurts is that's a guy who lost his job at Alabama. That was a guy who was he was very good at Oklahoma, but they he couldn't get them beyond the first game in the playoff, which is where they've been for the other time. And he couldn't, you know, he couldn't carry the team, right? Um he has a very particular skill set that is run first primarily, right? Um right. I think when people watch his game in college at the combine, even last year, you're looking at it and you're like, there are some clear limitations to his throwing ability in a league that is values to pass, right? Um, I mean, I would argue that he's clearly less of a passer than even Geno Smith, right? And we saw, and like, if we take Geno Smith's career, like one wrong situation and you're not in the league or you're in a backup role and hidden for, you know, six or seven years. Um, and so the fact that, that Jalen Hurts has now made his way uh, to let his team to the Super Bowl uh, is is a really important conversation to be had for black quarterbacks because it's clear that he's not twice as good. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, right, right, right. You know, like like he's had a spectacular season. He may become twice as good, but today he's not twice as good, right? And if we think about like, I know this is hard for our listeners who are younger to remember, 
like Tom Brady won that first Super Bowl by basically just throwing the he threw like three yard passes the whole time. Right. And then when they needed a play to get the field goal, he got them down in the field goal range, which was still a 48 yarder, uh, which is not necessarily <laughs> an easy field goal. But, you know, they didn't give him too much. Right. And it was not clear he was he was not Joe Montana. He was not Dan Marino. He was not any of those elite quarterbacks that you like. You look up, you're like, oh, that that person is a is a dude. Right. Tom right. Brady looked like a guy who you were like, oh, he's done really well. Jalen Hurts may not be Tom Brady, who's got this brilliance that we see now, but he's been above average. Right. But he hasn't been uber spectacular. He's been spectacular this season, but he doesn't have spectacular. He doesn't have a big arm. He doesn't, you know, the pass routes that they're asking him to make are not like uber complicated. Um, You know, he's getting a lot of single coverage because they've been running the football. uh, And he's been a a spectacular runner at the quarterback position. I think that's actually very important because what it does is it gives uh, general managers and people who can't imagine a quarterback, a black quarterback, a possibility at the next level. Because before, if they didn't look like Dan, you know, they didn't look like Michael Vick, who had like a ridiculously electric arm, or if they didn't look like um, Patrick Mahomes, even even, uh, Russell Wilson, who has like, you know, clearly a pass first kind of mentality. Now we can see them fit in a lot of ways. And so I think this is a big Super Bowl not for just because of the matchup, but because how different the two black quarterbacks are. Right. It's, it's especially, and I keep I've telling a lot of people this over the, over the week, it's the Jalen Hurts, right? Um, and part of this, and you're a big college football guy, it, it's this. Jalen Hurts wouldn't have had a chance in the 1970s, right? Just like Con- Condrish Holloway didn't have a chance. Even David Coley at Battle Rose probably wasn't that good. Uh, Gaffney at Florida didn't have a chance. Dungy didn't have a chance. And that is because they were black. They were playing in systems like that geared towards their their athleticism. As, as I like to say, integration and innovation in college football really hurt a lot of black quarterbacks, right? Mm-hmm. So because once you get integration, that's what you start to see. There's a number of black quarterbacks in the 1970s outside of like the Big Ten, which which was decently always had black quarterbacks, but they're running the veer. They're running the triple wishbone. They're, they're running, running the wishbone, wishbone right? Yeah. And Oklahoma, NFL, Nebraska, all those right. teams in the, in the Big 12, yes. And they all had brothers, right? Yeah. And early on, but they're not getting a shot because the NFL is like, we're not we're not running this. You, so that's why, you know, Doug makes it because he's 6'4", right? And and even though Grambling's running the wing tee, they put pass plays in to take advantage of it. And, 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 and what's – Eddie Robinson has a type. Like, if you look from – James Harris to Doug Doug Williams. Every quarterback I looked at every quarterback six foot four. Oh, right? oh they're all they're, huge. They're all deep. So the guys that even make like I can't even pronounce his name, Cromwell or whatever, he's six foot four. Matthew Reed, who broke James Harris's school record six foot four. His problem is he ran a four five forty. And was, the moment he was he the first that, the first real dual threat dude. Like dual threat his like, high school numbers, he's got like twelve <laughs> he had like twelve touchdowns in a game in high school. You couldn't stop him. <laughs> and by the way, shout out to Eddie Robinson being able to still get these guys, right? Yeah. In in the early in late sixties and early seventies. He was getting the top players at Louisiana outside of uh what's my man's name who went to LSU. Um oh God, who we've talked about him so many times. Um, who was the top recruit in 72, winds up going to LSU. My name, he played, he was a quarterback, and they switched him to running back. And 
It was a, he actually became an interim coach for a while. Um, but anyway, it skips my mind. Oh, but, the guy, uh, know, the guy who was the coach at for the Browns that time. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh Rubitsky, my God, Rubitsky, Rubitsky, was the top top recruit in '72 in, in Louisiana. He winds up going to LSU, but everyone else goes to to Grand League for a while, right? Like Sammy Whites and 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 Dugs and stuff like that. But Jalen Hurst not playing in the 1970s because they would have put him. He would have been in the veer, and the NFL is like no, but. But what's happening now, because of the way contract works, and you know, because you have to play these guys right away, and because now NFL are, is starting to take that the systems are a little bit closer, right? They're yes. starting; to, they have to take some of these guys. It's going to open up more opportunities for the Jalen Hurts out there in college football because what GMs say is, I could build around this guy, like I could get this type of quarterback early. He has to make certain throws. He doesn't have to make these kind of off-platform throws or anything like this. And I can spend my money elsewhere, right? Yes. I can I can spend it. I can spend it on this top one top receiver, get a young receiver in a draft, and then build a great defense. And I think that's in the, you know a front on both sides. I think that's what the Eagles did, and that can be the thing going forward. Now, obviously, like Young, Bryce Young, and CJ Stroud are a little bit different. But the possibility of a run-first quarterback. The other thing, what's so interesting to me, is that when Marlon Briscoe first came into the league in '68, all these coaches said he's electrifying, but you can never win with a running quarterback, right? Mm-hmm. And that was a tag. And I think part of it was, look, they've been running quarterbacks before, like you know, the, the Lions won, won. I think in '53 with Bobby Lane running. Mm-hmm. By the way, I, th- I believe they Fran Tarkenton uh, was Fran Tarkenton. Fran Tarkenton yeah. four Super Bowls. Yeah. Uh, the Lions last time they won a Super Bowl, Bobby Lane. They they ran. I want to say they ran the wing tee um, back then, or they might have been. One, it's one of the tees where they ran the quarterback ran a lot. Mm-hmm. But they would say you can't run. The moment they saw Marlon Briscoe say it was like this huge topic of conversation, and I think that impacted a lot of these guys who were who had the ability to run and it's such a advantage if you're on office, if that guy can actually run, right. If he's not a statue and for so long at the NFL, we've seen them flirt with it. Like a Randall who's a dual threat or a Mike Vick. But I think now it's time that they build, even if Hertz doesn't have a great game, which I don't know if he will um, just given the magnitude of the moment and that she's that, that that Chiefs defense is pretty. I think it's pretty underrated. Um, mm. They'll give them a lot of plays, but then they'll come and get you right. And, mm. and so we'll see. But I think you know you're a college guy, and you know all the, those guys in college. And I think this opens up a, well, a huge I, I, opportunity. I think there's two things. I think this is an important point because I think one of the discussions that we that gets lost in the black quarterback, and this is where your book is going to be. Uh, I think uh, really kind of groundbreaking because. Too much of the conversation has been about so much of the conversation has been about black quarterbacks just being, you know, because they're black and because of the assumptions about intelligence that we can't do this. But what also gets lost is a question about systems. Right. And I think that like the question about college systems and intelligence, those two variables put together now make it almost impossible for black quarterbacks. And so your point about integration, where black quarterbacks were playing at Oklahoma, they were playing at Nebraska. I mean, Nebraska ain't been good since Tommy Frazier left, right? But Tommy Frazier, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, um, you know, like Oklahoma had uh, Holloway. They had, uh, who was the J.C. Watts, right? Who's like, they had 
black quarterbacks for Barry Switzer kept a black quarterback out there, right? Right. That's it. Yeah. Um, and that's why he gave Texas hell, right? Because Texas didn't want to even do that, right? So some I mean, of the Houston, right? Early right. on. Houston, right? Like you were right. I mean, before they had Andre Weir, right? They, I mean, they invented the Veer, right? So yeah. So I think that one of these things is is that this point about systems is an important kind of oversight a lot of times when we think about black quarterbacks and where they are. Um, and I think that like we can really point you, you can draw a straight line to Jalen Hurts, right? And it doesn't actually start with Michael Vick, right? Because one of the things, one of the most, you know, there's a lot of disappointments with Michael Vick, for, especially for us who grew up at an age. And the biggest disappointment is that they try to turn Michael Vick into something that he was not. Right. right? They, You know, they try to make him a three-step drop, a West Coast pass, like all the things. And, and instead of building an offense around his strength, they try to force, they try to, you know, jam his strengths into this kind of offense. But you look back and you think like the line is really like Randall Cunningham to Steve McNair. Because if you go back and look at those early years of Steve McNair, one of the his things was that he could spin it, but he was a lot more dual threat running. Yes. You big know, guy. you yeah. know, and he was so big. Um, and then from there, you really go to Kaepernick, right? Kaepernick's the one that get, opens everyone's eyes because they're like, oh, Cap's like, oh, we can get to the Super Bowl running, running the RPO. Running right. RPOs out of the pistol, right? That's the same thing right. he was doing at Nevada. And and Cap gets to the Super Bowl, and now you're like, oh, this will actually work at the highest level, right? right? If you've got the right quarterback. And then the other end of the equation is that the defensive ends are all like out of control, right? Like, so you can't just be back there. Uh, you either have to be Tom Brady where you're like, I know what's coming and I'm going to throw it so quick that it doesn't matter. Or if you stand and hold the ball, you're going to get – You're Brock Purdy. Right. <laughs> you're right. And, oh. and these ability to run is important. And so Lamar Jackson winning the MVP that year, even though they didn't make it out of the playoffs, showed that you could be successful over the long term, right, right. And at that level. And now Jalen Hurts – who comes in in the aftermath of that is able to with the right system, the right team, right. the right pieces. That's the reason they signed um, the, the wide receivers. Uh, they got the defensive line, like they got the right program around him that play, and then they play to his strengths, right? Right. And right. then you got on the other side, you got Patrick Mahomes, who's like transcendent, <laughs> right? Like like gunslinger, right? Yes. Like he's transcendent. Like he's he does things that we just don't ever see, like. I mean, the dude is just, you know, as a pure passer in the NFL, like, you know, it's Dan Marino, like it's that, but more consistent than Dan Marino has been, you know, his was in his career, right? More athletic. It's just, it's just something we haven't quite seen. Uh, And so you've got these two different kinds of styles, which is so important for black quarterbacks, because now you can go to a system, play, be a black quarterback in high school, be a black quarterback in college. And there's a possibility, a pathway, even if you're not Patrick Mahomes. Right. And I think the other thing about Hurst, why we're still doing Hurst, is that he made himself into a quarterback, right? He worked, right? It wasn't, he he said, this is what I am. And then he continued to work to get better. Um, and you, you know what I mean? Like this is, you know, he goes to those passing academies. He talks to the Mannings all the time. And we, we tend to forget about that. And that, that's what it takes too, right? Uh, unfortunately, uh, Vic, from what they say, Vic doesn't put in the work or Jamarcus doesn't put in the work, but but Jalen has showed you if you're willing to put that time in, right? That that you can you can make it. Um and and like like you said, hopefully teams do start to build around that, like they build around Lamar, and hopefully they stay healthy too. I my fear is that they see guys like Lamar and, and Jalen still kind of dinged up and say, Well, see, 
that's what you get. But then I would point to the fact that, you know, the There's 49ers, no, they got have, no, no quarterbacks, they, no quarterbacks. <laughs> right. And they wasn't doing anything. Right. And so, yeah. so it doesn't, you know, you're going to get, give me some, it's a tough position, right? Burrow wound up blowing out his knee his first year. And he, I mean, he gets hit all the time yeah. um, too. Right. So it's very, very tough, tough position, even though it's well protected. I just want to, uh, this is my uh, appropriate time to say that uh, when Jalen Hurts went to go prepare for the draft, he went to go see Mike Loxley at the university of Maryland. Uh, this is what it is. That's what I want to let y'all know. Uh, Maybe he can get himself a quarterback in the league one day. Yeah. Wow. wow. But, what are you talking about? But Loxley was, uh, was Loxley his OC at Alabama? It was his OC at Alabama and he was going to transfer. And then apparently Nick Saban told Nick, him. Nick, Nick Saban was like, go to a good team. Go to Oklahoma. <laughs> yeah. But he went to That's go what he said. He said, I believe it, the quote is go to a good team. Hey, that's say, like, that was not exactly what he said. I believe that's a direct quote. You don't want to go play for that brother. That's uh, what he said. But yeah. then he uh, <laughs> went to go see him. Uh, and by the way, we got Tulia, right? Togo Lavoa. Togo Lavoa. He's not making it. He's, he's, not, he's not making he's it, not. but he's the all-time I feel leader. bad for his brother. I wouldn't let him play again. He's um, the all-time leading passer at the University of Maryland, right? The now. other thing about these two quarterbacks, and I think you'll like this, is that they're both from Texas, right? And it's like, you know, we're quick to talk about white quarterbacks from te- right. Jalen Hurts from Houston. I got that right, or I, I don't. I mean, if you say so, I'm, I don't. I don't. I thought uh, Hurts has looked to suck for I think because I thought he was like he's H Town. Let's look. Let's see. I know let's he, look this. We're not editing this out either. I want. I want the listeners yeah. know. I yeah, don't write Houston, Texas. Look at yeah. you. Yeah, look and, at you. and I believe Mahomes a Texas guy, right? Yeah, so he's we, we're Texas quick to guy. talk about these Texas quarterbacks, like a like a Stafford or a Breeze, or yeah. all of them pretty much. Now, yeah. I, and here we have two black co- Texas quarterbacks. It was interesting, right? Who the the first. You got, uh, I mean, the lineage of black quarterbacks from Texas, Choo Choo Brackens, right? Yeah, um, Prairie View A and M. Uh, Eldridge Dickey grew up in Houston and winds up going to Tennessee State. Uh, mm-hmm. Kurt Douglas, who gets drafted by the uh, the Ravens, Vince is, is Young, from the same Texas. Vince Young, um, Andre Ware went to Houston. Yeah, uh, guys who never made it, like DC Nobles, who who actually played in the w, uh, WFL. WFL um, is like the first successful Veer quarterback, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in the early seventies, right? So in, in all the black quarterbacks, I think Houston for like. <laughs> Every year had a black quarterback for a while, um, from from the seventies throughout the eighties. It's so, also why uh, Texas kept blocking him from getting into the the same conference as him. <laughs> is that what they did? Okay, that's that's interesting, right? Yeah, it, there's some interesting kind of Texas racial politics that because Houston was at the, you know, when integration comes to Texas, forefront, yeah, 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 um, basketball and football, right? Big E, right, right. and and so, um, you know, I think. You know, I think it is important. I, you know, I didn't even realize that that Jalen Hurts is from Texas, and it's not. It's interesting the way that they always big up, especially those guys from Austin. These the Texas connections, and so it's interesting right. that you know, no one in this massive media um, build up towards the Super Bowl has not talked about this Texas angle. So we got you know, sixteen hours of coverage uh, between tomorrow and Sunday morning before the game uh, for them to bring this up. They heard it here, and then they'll take it from our podcast. They heard it here first, yeah. 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 Um, so who you got? Oh, you know who I got. Uh, I got Patrick Mahomes, you know what I mean? Little, little, that that Southern twang. No, you know, I think, and I'll tell you why. One, because he's the greatest ever. But I think, and, and he's got the greatest tight end ever to play with him. But, but I think that experience, being there three times in five years, is going to help a lot. I, I think, I don't know. It doesn't seem like you could prepare to be in the Super Bowl until you're in the Super Bowl. 
And and not to say that Eagles doesn't don't have experience. They're probably what were they like six years ago, seven years ago? Yeah. So they got people like Kelsey who's there or Sue who was there just a couple of years ago. Um, so they have people on and their and their program have been there, but it's just a different animal. And I don't know if they're tested by playing the Giants and the 49ers offense like they will be uh, playing someone like Mahomes and Andy Reid. But at the same time, that defense scares me. The defensive line scares me. I mean, they got like 60 sacks this year, right? Like as a a unit. Like it's – and Kansas City's offensive line. virtually untouched. After he broke his ankle or whatever he did, I'm gonna say broke because I just wanted to be as dramatic you, as you, possible. Like, you give him his Willis Reed moment. He broke oh, his ankle. <laughs> the flu game, the ankle game, back to back, and so I think that offensive line because you know they've the last two years they've really concentrated on building that offensive line, and so we'll we'll see. And and from what I understand, Andy Reed has a mean screen game, so we'll see what happens when dudes fly off the edge. Mm-hmm. But two weeks to prepare is gonna be very interesting. To see see what. Well, happens. I mean, I think if you. I think there's like if we just break it down, I think the Eagles are, I think are favored because their defense they're looking at that defensive line. They're looking at the Kansas City secondary is not as robust, but I also right. think that like you know, that's asking their robustness is also tied to the fact that like they yeah. face Joe Burrow, right? Like that's a very different kind of quarterback than they're going to see different kinds of throws um versus the Eagles. Um I'll say Andy Reid is an excellent planner of offensive football. Right. And like you said, he's been to the Super Bowl three times in the last, what, five years it is, right? And this other quarter, this other coach, I don't know, right? Like we don't, like he's put together an excellent roster with veteran leadership. But at some point the coach got to get them organized in the right plays. And, and, and so that coaching staff makes me a little worried. I do think that you're right. You're about the moment. I don't know. I don't know if the Chiefs can overcome. I don't, you know, I, I just think mm. the Eagles got a lot. Well, they got to get them in third. I know I'm sure people have heard this a million times. They got to get the Eagles in third and long. It's not to say that Hurts can't make the throw, but right, I think there's something wrong with his arm still. And I yeah. think that, you know, I think they're going to go zero blitz or they're going to come, you know, uh, Spags has got some blitz packages yeah. that are not ready. And, and Chris Jones and other people are coming. Frank Clark, they're coming. Right. And they're flying around that ball. Now, what worries me about the chiefs is they're so young on the back um, end, in the back, in the back end, but they've been tested. They, you know, they, 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 they won that Bengals test, right? They made the plays that they had to make against a really good to great Bengals team. And, with Jamar Chase and Pickett's on the outside, um, I thought that I thought they did. Yeah. That was the best game. I thought they limited, they severely limited Jamar Chase in that game. Um, and I think if Mahomes doesn't drop that screen pass, um, oh, they would have won. Yeah, that, it would yeah. it would not have been as close as it was. Um, but you know, obviously, it's turnovers. I don't know. I, I I'm not picking, but I feel like you going with Patrick Mahomes. Uh, I think I think I'm excited because we got two. It's Black History Month. We got two black right. quarterbacks. It's right. uh, in the Super Bowl. Rihanna's doing halftime. Like it's this is the blackest. This might be the blackest Super Bowl of all time. That's what I'm saying. It, the the only bad part is that Monday's not a holiday. Like God, yeah, go back to work. And it's like <laughs> I mean, we can I make it. Just on Sabbath. I know <laughs> you can make it a holiday. I burnt my. I burnt my. <laughs> I burnt my time. What happened? My son got. I had to stay home on Wednesday, uh, and so you know I can't. You know, you know these students pay to be here, so you can't. 
Miss too too many days. Turn into a Zoom day. Just no, pre record, pre record, pre record. That's that is the beauty about going online in the pandemic. Is that we have all these lectures ready, uh, but still some of these these students still think they want to be face to face, which is so weird. I'm like, gosh, just let me go online. But here we are. So anyway, yeah, it's I'm I'm ready. I'm be excited. There's no, it's win win, right? It's 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 uh, Wesley Snipes and Patch. Passenger fifty seven always bad on black, and so we're good. <laughs> As a reason, y'all can look it up. It's a movie for y'all. Yeah, yeah, for those youngest, for the yeah, young, youngsters. youngsters. Yeah. So with that, man, let's get out of here. Yes. All right. Thank you, and peace. Peace.